As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Once again, I've been able to come across some super interesting people via social media, but this time was on Twitter. And joining me today on the Malcolm Effect, all the way from Jamaica, is Tristan Graham. Salam, bro. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Salam, salam. (laughs) Thanks for joining me on the Malcolm Effect. I'm going to go straight into it. And the tweet that kind of came up on my timeline, and I thought to myself, I really need to speak to this, this brother, was... Can't be worse than me being conservative until, <laughs> until I found Nkrumah <laughs> and then Marx. Yeah. So I definitely can understand. I definitely had conservative sensibilities in the past, but I, would, I was never a conservative. I, and that's something yeah. of a badge of honor that I wear for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely know. Let's be honest. There's many black people who do have conservative sense, uh, sensibilities without even knowing sometimes yeah and i think you also made a lovely post as well that people normally entry to radical politics is like you know garvey malcolm x and then they move further left yeah it's also very true and that's definitely been my own journey and my own transition but talk to me bro how do you go from a conservative to Nkrumah and to being so far left now <laughs> so really and truly it was my introduction to Malcolm. Mm-hmm. When I found Malcolm and I started reading his his um politic, I realized that mm-hmm. a lot of what I was saying wasn't really making any sense. And then I read Garvey and I was like, Well, I right, mm-hmm. black power. Okay. Yeah. So then you know, during that period you're like more center than you are left. In the yes. sense that Garvey's politics isn't necessarily socialism or capitalism to its fullest extent. It's more like a, mm-hmm. a, a, like a centrist version. And then mm-hmm. one day I was like saying, yo, all right then, all black people need to do is open more businesses. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right then, if everybody opens a business, who's going to work? And then it was like, like it just wasn't making any sense to me. And I was like, all right then. So basically I started asking the right questions. So I was like, why are the mm-hmm. people poor? Is it because they don't have any intuition or any, you know, intelligence mm-hmm. or anything like that? And I'm like, no, because I know people who are super intelligent and are still poor. I was like, why is that? And then I started going to work on Marx. And initially, yes. in Jamaica, I think our education system is probably similar to the UK, where we go to like mm-hmm. sixth form and upper six. So I was doing sociology at at, I was doing sociology and economics at the time. And what we learned in mm-hmm. economics is the pro-capitalist version of economics. You know, the Keynesian model, yep. the Adam Smith model, and the David Ricardo versions where, where mm-hmm. the invisible hand balances back out. And, I'm, and I was thinking about <laughs> those stuff and I was like, yo, that like those stuff don't even make any sense. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and then I remember in sociology class, they were talking about Karl Marx. And the teacher asked, if you believe that there will ever be a classless society. And mm-hmm. I was like, are you crazy? How in the world do you want to have a classless society? Like, it don't make any mm-hmm. sense. And then later on, I'm looking back at that version of myself and saying, yo, you were really propagandized so, so Tell well. me about it. <laughs> so, so well. 
And like, I remember watching documentaries on Mao Zedong and Stalin and just various leaders and how they castigated them as brutal dictators, Gaddafi. Yeah. And all of that. I was like, yo, when I started reading what they were saying for themselves and what their motives and methods were for liberation, I'm like, these, like, these, like, these, like, these guys are evil. They were just fighting yeah. against an evil empire. So what, mm-hmm. so whatever method that they implemented had to be as, I don't want to say evil, but counter to the evilness that they were experiencing from the West. So mm-hmm. again, yeah, like, I, like I started to share a, share a lot of the propaganda that I was internalizing. And mm-hmm. I fell in love with reading. That, that is what really yeah. changed me. I started reading a, a whole lot of stuff. I was reading like two to three books a week. Like even one time my mom was like, yo, where are you getting all this money from to buy all these books? And mm-hmm. like every week she, she um, had to be going to the, the courier to collect books because in Jamaica, they don't sell the books that I want or I would read. Mm. So I'd have to order it from Amazon or, or thrift books or a bookstore abroad. Right? And yeah. I remember this one time I was shipping in the, the Communist Manifesto and I, yes. think, and, and I think they flagged the shipment. <laughs> like, it took me a while to get the book. And once I read that book, I like, I, like, I read that book in like an hour. Because I read it before, because mm. I remember the day I read it. I, I read it on a Sunday before I went to go play football. And yeah. the whole time I was playing ball, like I, like I couldn't think about anything else apart from what Marx was saying in the book. Because what mm. he was saying, I could literally pick certain points out of it and apply it to the reality that we live in the world. Like the whole private mm-hmm. property situation, which most people misinterpret and believe that Marx is going to take away your phone or communists are going to take yeah, away your phone exactly. and stuff like that when that's not what they mean. They just mean they, they want to own and control the machinery within the society. The workers should own and control the yeah. machinery within the society. And I started realizing that all that I was told from liberal media, CNN, conservative media, Fox News, and all other media outlets was total garbage. And at one point, I, re- I remember when, after I shedded, or I shed the yoke of conservatism, I remember that my family was left-leaning. My, my yes. mother's side of the family are socialists. Because in Jamaica, okay. we have a People's National Party here. And the foundation of that party, even though it's not that way now, is socialism, right? Mm. And I remember... My charity work when I was younger, giving back to the poor, like every Christmas, every Easter, like every holiday I can think of every year I'm giving away my clothes and, and stuff like that. And I was like, wait, that is who I really am. Not the person mm. who is trying to accumulate a certain status within society, which is what we are taught to do during school. Because I believe that naturally people are left-leaning. People don't okay. get conservative. We are, we are taught conservatism. Because if you ask anybody when they're born to look on somebody who's poor and try and help them out, they are going to want to help them out. But it's not yeah. until we learn and internalize certain things through our daily goings through society that we become adjacent to poor people or look down upon. And then we have, and then we 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 create false ideologies that then yes. reinforce the why exactly. people are in the positions in which they're in. Exactly. When really and truly, it's a system. And, and and the arrangement of the economic system, especially exactly. in relation to the mode of production that has produced those results. Exactly. Um, and, and that's where you hear the logics in it, like, oh, just work hard. So my question <laughs> to you then is, <laughs> my question then to you is, 
you as being a, a, a black man, you know, you hear a lot of things, oh, but Marx is a Western intervention. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, from black yeah. people. It's a European uh, yeah. invention. What can yes. he speak? And, and and again, I think that's very childish and very immature yes, very, and naive very. way. Because we heard like, what Fanon said, that yeah. Marxist needs to be stretched for the colonial context, as did Walter Rodney and, and, and many others. But my question to you then, specifically, what was it about you as a young black man living in Jamaica? What was it about these, the works of these, of Marx, for example, that spoke to you? First of all, to go back to what you were saying a bit earlier within that statement, Marxism is not a ideology, meaning mm. it's not dogmatic. It, it, well, it is an ideology, but it's not dogmatic in its, in its yeah. thinking. There are dogmatic Marxists. But Marx himself or Marxism itself lends its scientific knowledge to all areas of society because capitalism yes. is what pervades in all over the world. So Marxism can be applied anywhere in the world, regardless of race, ethnicity, or anything. Wherever capitalism mm -hmm. is, Marxism can be applied there. It, it is not mm -hmm. universal. Well, sorry, it is universal. It is a scientific study. That knows no shade, no color line, nothing like that. So that mm -hmm. so that is my answer to people who are like, oh, it's a white man's ideology and, and such and such and such. But for me, Marxism spoke to me in the sense that when I looked within the Jamaican society and I started yeah. to see what Marx was talking about, and then I started looking back on the various historical events that Marxism predicted would happen back in 1884, because most yeah. of what he said in the book was before what we would put it to happened. So he was basically saying, yeah. Yo, this is what's going to happen if we continue down this line. And that's exactly what happened. The boom and bust, yeah. the boom and bust cycle of the whole capitalist economy, where there's a rise boom, then there's a huge bust that happens like every three to five years. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and he's just showing you. And, he, and literally, I find some of his work comedic because... <laughs> if you understand what he's saying, you realize that he's kind of being sarcastic or he's using a Socratic method where he's just showing you what's going to happen or the flaws within your own argument. Because, mm. for example, to show you how capitalism is, is going to destroy itself, the whole basis of the economy is to gain as much as po possible without putting in much effort. Right? Yeah. So, for, so, for example, you lower the wages for workers, right? And yep. whatever they produce, the price is more than what they are um, earning. Yep. So what eventually happens is that you have a surplus of goods that nobody can buy. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do? You throw it away. Or, yeah, like half of the time you throw it away. Because half of the food in the world is thrown away because nobody can afford it. So they throw it away. Yep. So basically you are producing stuff that people cannot afford. So what is the purpose of you producing those goods ju just so that you can make a profit off of those goods. I thought goods and yeah. services were for the betterment of humanity, not for profit. And then when you mm -hmm. base all of your social relations on profit, tears away the sentimental veil of humanity where nobody wants to do anything just because anymore. It has to be for yeah. something. It has to be beneficial to them. It has to be a monetary, a monetary value or reward, right? And that denigrates 100%. the human spirit. Literally, 
hundred percent. Yeah. And for example, I tweeted earlier that capitalism is is an existential crisis and a spiritual mm-hmm. crisis because think about the millions of workers that go to work during the week, and every weekend yep. they have to go to this thing called happy hour because during most yep. of the week they're sad and 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 miserable and they have to get drunk and take opioids yep. and pills and all of those stuff that if in the long term hurts them for what kills to them make, man yeah exactly to make a billionaire richer to make a millionaire richer can you imagine and, and and you know it's quite interesting and i think what you're speaking to right now shows to me the strength of dialectical materialism uh, in the sense that yes. i don't accept i don't accept the argument of let's say milton friedman and particularly thomas so <laughs> nowadays age How soul is that like, <laughs> that me can't turn him, you know. <laughs> can't turn him. <laughs> I can't turn him, and I just hate the way black conservatives and right wing folk, and even black centrists who have conservative sensibilities, use mm-hmm. him as their like. You know what I mean? I just hate them parroting his arguments verbatim oh all the time. But but why I mentioned dialectical materialism because what annoys me is. They literally say that capitalism is just the manifestation or expression of human, quote unquote, human nature. Yeah, and that's so what the, they always the, And the, also the propensity or proclivity to be greedy, yeah, to be individualistic, to, to think for oneself, to, to, to dehumanize others. All yeah. it is is that we have now produced an economic system to to justify, yeah, to, yeah. to, to, to kind of just like is a manifestation or of our uh, human nature and why i like marx talking about like you know to what the base and the superstructure he says no it's the opposite is true we Mm. have our relationship with the mode of production and then we create ideology to justify it and that's the truth we see it in slavery it wasn't and this is something people don't and this is why i always resist any essentialist take of race I personally has to be grounded in the material because it wasn't the fact that we have to go and get black people to because they're solely black it, it has to be no, they the serve economy. a particular economic production function. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. And I think it's and very that, important. I think that's that in, intervention for me is very freeing as a black man. Yep. Personally. It is very. And like I like I remember when I was telling somebody that you can't be against racism and not be against capitalism. Because the whole idea of race for was real. built upon your ancestors being capital. Because they were nothing else apart mm-hmm. from that. They were just capital. And the idea that race is this um, thing that existed during time, it's completely stupid. Race is a 14th century concept. It, 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 it never existed before. For real. Af- Africans and Europeans were trading long before that for hundreds and hundreds of years, literally. And yep. of course, there was some xenophobia and Africans were particularly xenophilias, meaning we were... A, accepting of outsiders europeans were the, the xenophobic people so the idea yeah. that racism is just oh and i blame this on liberal apparatus and i tweeted it yesterday that the vague definitions of racism have contributed to how we as african people view ourselves within the society because i even remember hearing once that i was in a i, I was on an interview the other day and the mm-hmm. interviewer said that they don't want to be racist against a white person. And I was like, wait, what? What did you just say? You are afraid to be racist against a white person? And I was like, 
what do you mean? I, I was so confused because I, I like it was one of the first times I was hearing that because I never knew you could be racist to a white person <laughs> in a white supremacy based society where they are literally the standard of who we are as human beings. So you and I'm like, oh my gosh, I blame this on liberals because because they have watered down the argument of white supremacy to white privilege, which then implies, tell them which implies Robin Robin D'Angelo. Ibrahim Kendi. <laughs> yeah. Yo, was was Ibrahim Kendi the um the person who wrote How to Be Anti-Racist? I think he's no, the one no, who wrote that no, book. No, I'm not in books, man. I'm not in books, then. Oh. But I know. <laughs> I can't tan him. I just can't tan him, man. But but yeah, like I blame those people because when you water it down to white privilege, it it implies that we are all equal within the society, which we are not. Yeah. So. You don't call it what it is because you want to. Yes, how to be anti-racist. That's a, him. Because I, 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 I remember his name. And he has a whole lot of books. Um, I think the D'Angelo guy is the one who wrote White Fragility. Yeah, that woman. That woman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right? So the idea that you are somewhat equal or, or we're living in a post-racial society because Obama is now president or was president <laughs> and we have all these black leaders you have the black caucus you have independence and emancipation and we're all free and and oh the world is such a colorful place and yes capitalism works um it lifts billions of people out of poverty and all the garbage that you'll hear them say on CNN and Fox News and what you learn in school yeah. I'm here to tell everyone who's listening to this right now, all of that is complete garbage. <laughs> complete and utter garbage. All it takes is literally, I, it, right, so imagine this, we are, we are, and we we're talking about Thomas Sowell earlier. Mm-hmm. At the age of 19, I was 19 and I could dismantle all of his arguments. Well, I did dismantle all of his arguments in about 40 minutes. I have an mm. article on Medium where I completely and imagine this, I'm not even from America. Mm. And and I and I was able to do that. Because some of the stuff I've heard him say is like, I'm like, yo, are you a robot? Like they put a chip in your brain or or something like like I heard him say once that racism is Nazi propaganda. And I'm like, what? And then I heard him say something else again that oh um there there um oh this is probably the dumbest thing he has ever said and and, and I don't think he realizes how, how how dumb it was. He said that there were more black fathers in the home in slavery than there were now. I remember that. I remember that. Just think about that. He's compare he's he's literally comparing slavery, meaning when we did not have autonomy over our bodies, exactly where we were just studs to what we have now where we actually have bodily autonomy and i'm like mm-hmm. does this guy hear what he's saying but tristan do you see this is why thanks for mentioning that specific example this is why i don't get me wrong mm-hmm. you know a lot of the time people who are identified this way on the left they get accused of being like class reductionist or materialist solely and mm-hmm. not taking into consideration psychoanalysis and absolutely psychoanalysis has its time oh and definitely place. yeah but, but what i find problematic so not exactly. What I find problematic is that I actively resist any non-material discussions on race because I've just seen where it descends to. It descends into pathology of black people. Yes. Always. Always. Oh, th- 
you know, and 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 let's be honest, it's not just from the right wing conservatives who are white. Black yeah. people do it as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Black people do it as well. Like you know, because we have internalized our own anti-blackness. Hundred percent. Like the Moynihan report, and you yeah. know. Uh, in Morningham report being okay, yeah, you know the, the reason why black people are in the way they are because it's the absentee fathers or, or <laughs> women are be- or women are becoming too liberated. Like, like like the men of the heart liberated. I'm thinking, come on, like I thought we left these arguments in the '60s, man. Like, <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah. But shifting shifting gears a little bit, your bio on Twitter says Nkrumah Toure is two yeah. two figures who I love. For those who may not be familiar. Kwame Nkrumah was the first president of Ghana. He led Ghana into independ- in independence. And Sekou Toure was the first president of Guinea, who led Guinea in independence as well. Yeah. People who I recommend, I mean, I think if people want to understand imperialism or people want to understand capitalist accumulation as it pertains to the continent, yep. you cannot escape the works of Nkrumah yep. and Sekou Toure. But God, wow. why did you... So why have you put Nkrumah and Toure in your bio, basically, I'm asking? All right, so... Initially, I was... Yeah, so in shifting gears a little bit, I see you have Nkrumah Toure, uh, Sekou Toure, uh, in your Twitter bio. So talk to me, why is that in your bio, basically? Yeah. All right, so basically along my political journey and my readings of leftist literature, you know, Gramsci, yeah. Trotsky, Lenin, yeah. Stalin, um, Marx, and others, I realized that even though their 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 analysis was was excellent, yeah. but it fit the material conditions of Europe and the Western mm-hmm. world, not necessarily the material reality yeah. of Africa. So I started searching for Africans who could answer those mm-hmm. questions, and, and along the way, I saw that um, the whole idea of you changing your religion and your name and all of those stuff was all good and well. But it was more of a subjective choice than the objective need of Africa, mm. which is the liberation of all African people under scientific socialism, yeah. the the elimination of colonialism, neocolonialism, and imperialism. Uh, Africa should sustain herself. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up in the works of Nkrumah, Tore, Ju- um, Julius yeah. Naire, Samora Michel, uh, Amilcar Cabral. Steve mm-hmm. Beku or Biko and Leopold Senghor mm-hmm. and just all the independence movement leaders of the 60s within Africa, mm-hmm. primarily the socialist leaders. Um, I think I have in my book um, where I write, the primary enemy of all African poor and working class people is global capitalism yeah. in all its manifestations, slavery, colonialism, settler colonialism, neocolonialism. As Torre teaches us, capitalism is an economic system in which the major means of production, i.e. the industries, equipment, tools, machines, mineral resources, and technology are all controlled and owned by a few people. The capitalist class will live off the exploitation of the workers for the maximization of capitalist profit. They own, but do not work. The workers work, but do mm. not work. Thank you for that. that that's that facts. Like, I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> Other than the fact then, people often ask, there's a lot of black people as well. So how would you respond to, yeah. we hear that a strong continent will make better for the conditions of people in the diaspora. If that's the case, why yeah. do you think that's the case and how so? Because if you look at any racial group around the world, mm-hmm. 
there is always a strong base on their continent. Mm -hmm. Whether they want to acknowledge whether or not they are from that space, their racial group has a strong base. For example, we all know that Americans or white Americans are really just Europeans who just never want to be called <laughs> um, Europeans anymore. Yeah. But they're still Europeans, right? Asians who have migrated across to North America, they have a strong base in Asia. China, yeah. for example, Japan, Indonesia is coming up, India is coming up, Vietnam, no, not Vietnam, but I believe it's Indonesia. I think it's, I think the technological industry is booming mm -hmm. nowadays. So they all have bases within the continent. You and Europeans have bases all over the world because they have a continent for 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 um, themselves, with them called Australia. Which <laughs> they which um, they took over for the from from um, the Aborigines, and the only two continents that don't have a strong base for their racial lines are Africans and the Latin mm -hmm. Americans or the indigenous people of America. Those are the only groups of people who don't have a strong base, and mm. so the strengthening of Africa would nullify the need for the West. Because as I've said, for Africa to rise, the West the West has to fall. Of course. And I have it in my book as well where I say that, the, or I believe, or, or I quoted someone in, in my book, I don't remember who it was, but they said that, I, th I think it was Fanon that said that Africa, or the West is literally a creation of Africa. Yeah. Mean, and what he means by that is that the material and are the, are the human resources as as well as the mineral resources are what created um um the western hemisphere because without them they would not last a day or even <laughs> yeah they wouldn't last a day at all right and so if africa is to rise and you know um go forth as the champion of the human race or on or on earth then the west needs to fall and Africans all over the world will have a sense of racial pride not to know that, hey, I come from here and I'm proud to be from here and I can go here whenever mm -hmm. I want, regardless of what is happening in the West. So it's basically an option, yeah. right? So if you are feeling that, yo, you don't want to live in a, a super hyper individualistic setting like what we have here in the West or a highly or a deeply racist society you can go amongst your own people and live comfortably or even or or more than likely live, live better than how you were living in the west then that is what we should strive absolutely for. because no matter what because no matter what we want to call ourselves jamaican british american even though i would never call myself <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, like no, no matter no matter what you want to call yourself, we're all coming from the same place. We're all connected to one source as African people, and we should return to that source not only spiritually, but physically. And the only way to do that is to build a strong continent for us to live on. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm totally with that, and I think what's important to also mention, even if you consider the the landscape of uh, geopolitics. Really and truly, yeah. first and foremost, people need to understand nationalism as understood by national liberation movements is different to the nationalism that we see, that we see in yeah. the West that took place. Exactly. That's the first, that's the first yeah. distinction that must yeah, be like made. Yeah, it's completely different. Yeah? And I think ultimately, even if the world we know it, as we know it today, let's say with these institutions of United Nations, if Africa had economic, <laughs> military, political power, 
it makes for a better advocate for the conditions of black people in the diaspora. For example, when we have the, the charges exactly. of Malcolm X and before him, he wasn't the first person, but to bring, he wanted, he wanted to bring the charge of genocide against African-Americans, yeah, United, the United Nations against African-Americans yeah. in America, that was listened to, but it wasn't really pushed. But if you had, let's say now, yeah, a strong African country that had political, military, economic power, they could push for an investigation, mm-hmm. like a literally, like a non, uh, what's it called? Uh, an, an investigation, outside body investigation into the conditions of, let's say, police, police brutality against African-Americans. That's just, because, you know, it's, I think what, what I want to do sometimes, people, you know, we have these grand, not grand claims, but we have statements. Statements of a strong continent will make for a better conditions of diaspora. And I believe that, but then people will ask you, yeah. okay, but how? What does that mean materially? And, and, and that's why I like to give just a concrete yeah. example. That's just one example for, for this is one example out of many. Yeah. And, you know, to add to what you're saying, at the same time Malcolm was killed, a, a guy by the name of Giovanni Pinto mm-hmm. was, I believe he was in Ghana and he was killed literally a day wow. after, if not the same day as Malcolm, because Malcolm and he were going to, take the United States in front of the United Nations as well as the Supreme yeah. Court and charge yeah. them with the with with um with, with um the, the genocide of African Americans. Yeah. And during, and that was when Malcolm became like I don't like I don't like I don't even know what to call it. But he became like a super threat, super exactly. threat. Because he was always a threat. Because he was always a threat, but he became super super threatening to the imperial wants of exactly. america and if you take a look at all of the assassinations that took place across africa during that time they went up against literally the strongest empire the world yeah. has ever seen and they did we, they did without any incentive meaning monetary yeah. incentive though that night only incentive that they had was racial pride from um, the, the one for freedom and a commitment mm-hmm. to justice Right, and even if you look at what they do, or or what they did to Malcolm or Martin Luther King's legacy, yeah. where they basically water it down to uh, "I have a dream" speech, and <laughs> oh, he <laughs> he um he was a soft guy and 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 he was a Christian and and blah, blah blah. But Martin Luther King's politics developed towards the end of his career because he yeah. saw that social integration means nothing without economic independence and once he crossed that line they had to get rid of him literally they had to get rid of him because you could beg to be it's one thing to ask to to ask to join the club but it's another thing to 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 want to start your own (laughs) club (laughs) and anyone who is for economic independence is always a target especially or especially socially 100 that's been consistent for me and uh, exactly, and for me, there are only three economic systems, two economic systems that can exist mm. in the world. And I don't really, and I, I, which is why when I hear reactionaries who are so-called pan-Africanists or black nationalists say, "Well, socialism." Oh, let's ideology. okay. We can talk about them in a minute. And, um, <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm like, all right then. It's a simple thing. It's either a few will own or we all will own. That's yeah. like that's all it is. And those are the only two economic systems that can be in the world. Mm-hmm. We we saw it in the standoff between the USSR and America, mm-hmm. where they were battling for supremacy. And which is and really? and, and and again, people should 
read what what was was taking place at that time and what shapes how we are today because there's a whole lot of stuff that was going on world war one world war and world war two the cold war yeah. the vietnam war the independence movements the civil rights movements the women's liberation movements like there was a whole lot of stuff that shaped the reality mm. that we're now living in for example just look at cuba yeah. and all the propaganda surrounding cuba yeah. nowadays just look at haiti Look at what Haiti has been going through for the last four hundred or two hundred yeah. years since the since the Haitian Revolution, and analyze that in the context of liberation, in the context in in the context of imperialism, in the Thank context you. of neocolonialism and dialectics, because literally dialectics covers all of that. And again, dialectics was was not found by yeah, Marx; it was developed by Marx. Dialectics have been around since the Egyptians. A lot of what we call foreign to us are really our concepts that left Africa and were developed elsewhere. And even if it was developed elsewhere, it is scientific, which, which makes it universal, mm-hmm. which means it can be applied to any human being across you're, the planet. You're spitting like Stokely right now. Backwards. You're spitting like Stokely right now. That's how he talks. I love it. And he's one of my heroes. For, for real. He's literally. For real. Kwame Ture, like Kwame Ture was probably the person who opened my eyes mm. most to the whole socialism thing. Because even though I was reading Marx, I was still skeptical yeah. because, you know, the propaganda is very, very strong. Yeah. So you're like, you are afraid to call yourself a socialist or a communist because they're like, yo, people are going to hate you. And, oh, they um, killed so many people. So is it still a good idea? Which is all garbage, by the way. The whole killing thing is, is propaganda. But when I heard Kwame Ture speak, and I liken my story mm. to his, where he started off, you know, kind of in yeah. the center, you know, yeah. slick and liberal, and until he realized that reform and revol- like the whole reformism and the Fabianist tactics of getting to socialism was all garbage. And he went to the revolutionary side, formed the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, which I'm now a part no, of, the influences amazing. of that of that and when stokely speaks literally you can't help but listen Mm -hmm. and he breaks it down in such a way where it's so simplistic that even a madman who doesn't really have any intellectual capabilities can understand what he's trying to to now he breaks it down you know and the only and the only way you you can reject it is if you are just willfully ignorant like that like like what's he like he's like you've got labor and then you've got capital, and they're always in conflict. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so simple. It's so simple. It's so simple. Now, for real. And I, and, and I remember one of his speeches where, where, where um, he was saying, where, wherever capital dominates labor, there will be a constant and antagonistic relationship between capital and labor until labor comes to overcome capital. I'm like, yes, you're, you're <laughs> perfectly spitting. right. You're spitting. And we see it and we as we observe it. We have we have observed it and we observe it. Do you see what I mean? So it's just it's fact at yeah. this point. Shifting gears a little bit, I have so many questions for you, but I wanna I've got probably two, three more and you can tackle them in any way in which in any way in any way which you want to and in any order. So you said yeah. Oh, people, you get embarrassed to call yourself like labels or communists or Marxists because people say, well, these ideologies are responsible for killing X amount of people. 
Second thing I want you to respond to is yeah. how do you deal with people who are culturally pan-African but basically capitalists? And thirdly, maybe we could end with that. Yeah. I like to I like to have my lens on the international. Please talk to me about the scene in Jamaica right now and the movements in terms of like socialist and building okay. socialism. So those are the three final things. Okay. So I'm going to tackle the pan-African okay. one first. <laughs> All right. So in my book, I define pan-Africanism because I because I try to be, you know, fair to give validity to whatever side of Pan-Africanism you 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 find mm-hmm. yourself on. So I have amongst various groups, the term Pan-Africanism has taken on various yeah. meanings. It has been characterized as one is the belief that people of African descent have common interests and should be unified, and two, the total liberation and political unification of the entire continent under scientific socialism. In the neo-pragmatic view, this first term isn't applicable to my subjective view as to what Pan-Africanism mm-hmm. is. The revolutionary political tendencies from which Pan-Africanism developed could accurately be described as defiant. Pan-Africanism is certainly a strategy and an ideology that is uncompromising in its resistance to colonialism, imperialism, and I'm going to say this, capitalism. Mm. However, stopping at such new... Stopping at such a nubilus and emotional driven descriptor or stopping at such a nubilus and neglecting to mention the clear history when describing Pan Africanism only serves the purpose of, of obscuring world changing and yet unmet political objectives. It is a revolutionary response to disposition, exploitation, and the genocide of African people everywhere. It is Africa's contribution to the battle for universal emancipation and the global. Again, I'm going to emphasize communist movement. The idea of communism is a sore and often misunderstood ideology. The essence of communism is to create a classless society. That's it. However, due to the CIA and anti-communist propaganda machines, people most likely attach negative connotations to communism whenever it is mentioned. So to my cultural nationalists Mm -hmm. out there, right? If you are listening to this, I would I, I, I would like to ask you, or I will say to you, that I have realized that your your emotional connection to Africa is 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 far above many Africans within the diaspora. But at the same time, you have to see that there are material needs that need to be met. Because mm. I can change my name, I can change my religion. I can denounce Jesus Christ, Muhammad, Abraham. I can practice the Yoruba religions, the Orishas. I can worship my ancestors. And I'll wake up tomorrow morning still broke, still poor, and still depressed Mm -hmm. because my material needs are being met because the economic system that I'm living in currently doesn't Mm. allow it. And yes, you might want to say, well, you can go back to the African traditional ways, but you will also leave out a huge, huge, huge thing within your analysis, yeah. which is the world is globalized now. It is not cut off. It is a global system. Yeah. So you need a global solution. And also your analysis lacks class interests, mm-hmm. which is what they use to enslave us and create the colonial regimes. They used the chieftains who were a class above the average people yep. or the rulers of the kingdom in order to enslave the people. Yep. So 
what are you going to do? You want to go back to feudal times or you want to move forward? Because that's what most of I hear or, or what I hear from them is that they want to go back in time, right? To this and, and, and that. Yeah, we want to. Afrocentricity is at the core of Pan-Africanism. But at the same time, you have to realize that Africa wasn't a utopia and that we ourselves had internal con- contradictions course. that we need to resolve. Right, and I'm not saying we need any outside intervention. I'm talking about us as African people need to resolve, right? And if you read the history, you will see that one of the reasons why Africa was so easily overrun was because, for one, Songhai fell, and that made it kind of easy for the Europeans to come in. But first, they were but first it was yeah. the Moroccans who came across, then and then Europeans, and then when you go to East Africa. Or, or 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 Central Africa, you have the Oyo Empire, which was split, and you had the Dahomey on the fringe, and you had the Fulani, and then Oyo took over all of that land, and then when they started the slave trade with with um the British, like you could see the tribes fractioning, and this one fighting against this one, and this one selling this the other one into slavery, and and such and such and such. Again, I'm not approaching it from the angle that a conservative would use that that would try to say, oh, Africans sold Africans into slavery and we are the reasons why we're here. No, that is complete garbage. But what I'm saying is we as Africans have to acknowledge that there is a class system that is in yeah. Africa and it's not unique to just Africa alone. It's unique. It, it, it is a universal concept. Hierarchy exists or has existed in all societies. So... And if you want to engage in any sort of class analysis, you have to engage in people who don't look mm-hmm. like you. Because for me, not engaging in thought because of how someone looks is anti-intellectualism. Yep. Or that's what I call it. Because no one group of human beings are responsible for everything that have, has happened on Earth. right? And I believe that we have kind of internalized yep. that given our colonial relationship with Africa to uh, with, with um Europeans where we want to prove that we are the only ones who respond which is a response to them saying we don't know anything. But we know now that hey we were the ones who gave you all that knowledge that you developed and you're just now carrying it back. So if you know all of that, then why are you so hesitant or so hesitant to engage mm-hmm. in it? Because it's really yours. Because you gave it to them, and they're give, and now they're reproducing it or yeah. building on it to help fit your materiality. And as I said earlier, it is a scientific yeah. thing. It's not. It's not a white man science. There's no such thing as yeah. white man science. And to use the example of Kwame in, uh, of Kwame Tole, where he says Newton's laws aren't really his laws. He didn't invent exactly. them. He just observed it and wrote them down. And if you read the history, you realize that what Newton saw was discovered in Egypt thousand years, a thousand years before. The, and the Islamic scholars this, had ideologies similar exactly. to what he was saying thousands of years before. So it's not like development is linear. It's non-linear. It, it happens similarly all across right. the world. So if you can use it to solve your material reality, which is what we need to do, because not everybody is going to want to be a voodoo priest or a Yoruba um, priest or a, or a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or, what, or whatever you call it. Because those things are subjective to the person's yes. belief. What we need to address is the material needs of everybody. 
because the only thing tangible to everybody and, uni- and universal to everybody is the material earth that we are mm-hmm. connected to. God, is, God and gods and no God is not a universal thing to exactly. all people. Everyone has their own opinions as to which God or which gods they need to serve. We can have an intellectual debate about whether it's yeah. true or not. Yes, but when you're talking about a liberation movement, it should be for everybody, regardless of sex, yep. gender, religion, and whatever other category there is. Right? And no matter how strong your personal opinions are and how strong your personal preference is, the fact of the matter is you're doing it for all the people. That's why it's called yeah. pan. It it wasn't called mm-hmm. semi. Mm-hmm. It wasn't called uni. It's called pan. Pan means all mm-hmm. African people. All of them. And the only system that can do that is socialism. I have never heard anyone get liberated by capitalism. Yep. That is literally and impossible. It's a shame. Because the basis of... That's a shame in the exactly. sense that... Sorry, Karen. No, it's no, a go shame on, on. because you find that not saying the people who are the most well-read, but the people who have seemed to have, who dominate the discourse, literally have the logics of, you know, let's just buy black business. Let's just buy back the block. You know, oh my God, we need to have <laughs> black billionaire class. And, you know, all these all these logics that let's just, you know, somehow we can capital uh, become capitalists and that will be that will secure liberation for black people and really and truly i said i think i tweeted just yesterday i said the true generation people talk about you know the, the language of trauma and, and which is very important i'm glad people are, are, mm-hmm. are seeking professional help and trying to break generational curses but i said you know i tweeted yesterday or a couple of days ago the true generational curse is trying to break free from or, or organizing around the theory from that will, that will reproduce the same systems of domination. That's the that's the what we're trying to break free from, yeah, really. And I, like, and I get it; it's very difficult. We've all been socialized into a specific way of thinking. Exactly that, and you know, and I always find it funny when cultural nationalists or I will I call them cultural mm-hmm. reactionaries that they internalize a lot of what white pathology 100%. has brought to the fore, as they don't do Because, for example. We like the idea that there were no prisons yeah. in Africa, right? But if a gay person is locked up in prison, the cultural nationalists, because they're homophobic, will rail and say, yes, For lock real? them up. And yeah, and I'm like, bro, you realize you're contradicting yep. yourself because you, for one, like the African way and the, and, and the traditions of, of Africa pre-colonially, but yet still you're cheering for what would have been castigated as non-African in the earlier days, no. Just because it goes against your personal belief. But yet still you will come and and chastise someone who pro- proclaims himself a socialist, mm-hmm. right? Because they realize that that is, that is the economic framework for I know that, the world. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I also have a question. Like, I have yet to hear them counter with the actual framework for for um, society, they have never countered with an actual solution. All they've done is criticize. Mm-hmm. So they'll criticize socialism, and you'll ask them, okay, what is your mm-hmm. alternative? And I had a debate with a guy like earlier this year, and I can't forget it. And I was in my early years of transitioning to yeah. socialism, and he was, and and I said, okay, what is the economic structure that you believe Africa mm-hmm. should be under? 
and you wouldn't believe what he said to me. <laughs> what did he say? He said, he said the one that Chancellor Williams described in his book, The Destruction of Black Civilization. And I'm like, what? You are telling me that you want the entire system of Africa to be governed by what you read in a history book? <laughs> Literally, it's like, it's not, it like, it's not an economic book. It's a history book from a historian. Really? And that's one book. And then I challenge him. I say, okay, what do you know about Chan- Chancellor Williams? Because there are, cause there are a lot of things that he got wrong in that book, first of all. He, first of all, which many people don't know, he was sponsored by the U.S. State oh, wow. Department. So that's one. So, again, you are regurgitating white talking points without even knowing because you don't do the research into mm. what he's saying. And, to, and, again, to most people, Chancellor William, Williams was a Christian, a devout mm. Christian. All the, the trash that he's talking about, Muslims in, in, in um, the book, it was intentional. Mm. Because the only kingdom that could rival the Christian kingdom was the yes. Muslim kingdom. And and the sources that he read were decrypted by Christians. They they, they, they weren't first-hand sources from the Arabic um, texts of West Africa. They were decolonial or, or colonial in interpretations of African mm. history, which he developed on. So the foundation of his work is not, you know valid or substantial to all that and you're going to look at me and tell me that Africa should develop their economic and social relations based on reading that book are you crazy and I'm like okay and then I said to him again what so so I asked him what is the name of the system he told me to go and read the book so I said I have read the book can you tell me what it says? Because obviously he doesn't know what is in the book because he probably just tell me that because in, because he thought I didn't yeah. have any sense. But So, so I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to tell you what is in the book. What Chancellor Williams describes is a sort of a collective democracy, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a social democracy where it's still sub, subservient to capitalism. So it's still based on exploitation. Mm. And I'm like, Bro, you can literally look in Africa right now and see what capitalism exactly. has done. Just look at the Congo. The Congo is the perfect example. Really? The Congo is literally the richest land on earth. Literally. I tweeted it the other day and it went viral. I got like 60,000 <laughs> oh, wow. retweets and stuff. And I was like, yo, so many people don't mm. know this. Literally, Congo soil is worth, I think, I don't remember the exact amount. I think it's. 20 something trillion dollars, 24 trillion dollars alone, like, like the soil alone is worth 24 trillion dollars, right? And they generate 300 billion every year in, in, in profit, right? But only 3 billion remains in the country. So imagine that. And you know where all the money is going? Of course. To private firms outside of Congo. Of course. And you, and again, one of the major investors in, in, in um, Congo, I can't remember his name now, but he's a Zionist from Israel. So you see where it's not just, well, although the West is Israel still, because Israel is a Western yeah. creation. So, so you see where the exploitation of Africa is not subject to only those in the Western mm. hemisphere. And in Nkrumah's book, or a book I was, or a book I was reading in 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 um, relation to Nkrumah, where it says we don't want to replace white exploitation with black yep. exploitation because that is exactly what we'd be doing. Like 
the other day I see people railing over Rihanna becoming a billionaire. I was like, exactly. Okay, what does that do for everybody else? And it's a false class consciousness. And because people aren't aware of class consciousness, they fall prey to stuff like that all the time. So because over the years we have been deprived of visibility within the empire, now that we've got the visibility, we feel that, or or we feel that that is it. Obama, regardless of where he, how black he is, he's one of the worst things I happened believe that to has black ever people. happened Honestly, to black people. Honestly, I genuinely believe that. Because he basically, he basically turned off lights yep. in our brains because of his visibility. And during his time, he, he did more to hurt Africa than any other Literally. president. Bombings in, in um, Somalia. He destroyed literally the and and I and I like I want to make a joke out of it, but it's not even funny. But he literally blasted Libya back into the yeah. 15th century. He he literally is responsible for the slave trade that is now currently mm-hmm. going on in Libya. And I'm like, you people are looking at this man as your hope. And whenever I see him in pictures, like posters, oh, I feel sick. And I MLK, feel sick. And like I'm like, yo, are you guys crazy, bro? And like when they put Michelle Obama next to people like Angela <laughs> Davis and 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 Shirley Chisholm and and Mrs. Garvey, and I'm like, Michelle, bro, are you guys stupid? And like it's so annoying. And I'm going to implore people or anybody who's listening to this now, visibility within the empire is nothing because as long as the empire exists they are going to serve the interests of the ruling class because that's how they maintain their power as the petty bourgeois class of Africans mm. or black people. And you can see it, and, uh, and, uh, and I will tell people, I liken the American empire to mm. Rome. It is literally the child of Rome, but just richer and, and smarter in its doings. For example... Rome, even though it was brutal and imperial, it still incorporated anyone from the from a territory that it took over into the empire to become a part of the army or 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 anything like that. For example, one of the major or the most or the most known uprising within the Roman Empire was one that happened in Judea mm. with the Jews or or what we would call the Zealots were rising up against Rome and they defeated the Romans yeah. during that time. And during that time, Rome was weak because I believe it was the year of four emperors or I'm, or, or I'm probably wrong about that. But no, it was the year of Emperor Nero, Madman Nero. Yes. And Nero sent in Vespasian and his son to shut down the Romans. Right? And, sh- sorry, the Jews. And the Jews basically you had the Pharisees who were supposed to be the proxy rulers for Rome, which would be similar to the chieftains in Africa, which would be similar to the politicians that we have now. So again, you are seeing a trend within the whole idea of imperialism or colonialism. It's constant throughout history. Again, historical materialism. You have to read Marx. You have to read... Like, back to what I was saying, they incorporated Jewish writers and and demagogues as as i'd call them because they are leaders they are they are yep. they're demagogues into the empire to carry out their imperial 100%. interests and if you went against it they would kill you or they would kill all the people or 
something and it's exactly what happens today and this has been exactly this has been i mean today. the thing is i'm just mindful of time but i know bro i already know i have to get you on again now i already know because i know we're gonna have so more to talk about because <laughs> you're speaking and, I, and yeah, so definitely. much is coming to mind i'm thinking right now people talk about china on the continent is it imperialistic we have the cultural nationalist so it, and oh that's i'm thinking gosh. of that and how it's not and but there's so much but i do i'm just mindful of time but if you can maybe as succinctly mm-hmm. as possible, break down to me the landscape of Jamaica right yeah. now in terms of the activism scene. I think it's, uh, for my own knowledge as well. Oh my gosh. Jamaica, Jamaica, Jamaica. Jamaica. Right now, Jamaica is in, incredibly mm. passive, especially in my okay. generation. And I see it all the time whenever there is a social problem. We just go on Twitter and rant and yeah. that's it. There is like, I'm a part of a group in Jamaica called okay. Lands, the left, the, the left Alliance for National Democracy and okay. Socialism, I believe. Right, and to, that and that's really the only left wing organization in Jamaica that mm. I know of that is actually organized. Right, in Jamaica you mostly have we are a right wing country okay. currently, and most people don't know that we are controlled by the Jamaica Labour Party, which is pro-capitalist and pro-US and okay. all of that, primarily because of the failings of the People's National Party. Basically, they got corrupted and they weren't really doing anything. Okay. And also the JLP were more organ- or are more organized than they are because right now we don't have an opposition. Oh, wow. <laughs> Literally, we don't have an opposition. Party members are dropping like flies. People are resigning out of nowhere. Like it's really like we're literally a one party mm. state right now, which is right wing. <laughs> how, and how and how, how sad that is. Our corona situation is incredibly horrible. The hospitals are beyond capacity, like a hundred and ten percent over capacity and stuff like that. We get like for a small island, we get like three hundred to four hundred cases every day. Curfew measures are imposed like for like two years right. now. We can't be out on the road later than I think the latest curfew we've we've ever gotten was ten o'clock. Yeah, ten o'clock. No, it's seven o'clock. So all businesses have have to be closed by four. Everyone has to be home by seven, and then give you like a grace period to like eight. Local industries are suffering, primarily the events industry, given mm-hmm. the corona, and because you know our economy is basically built around yes. tourism. So the tourist sector is in a extreme drought right now because no one yeah. can come to the island or no one wants to come to the island and no one's traveling. So money or foreign exchange isn't coming in. They are destroying the environment to make way for capitalists to build up property or more hotels. Um, they recently announced that they want to gentrify St. Thomas, even though they didn't use the word gentrify, but that's what they do, what they're going to do. Because they say they want to make it the next tourist destination. And that is code word for, hey, we're going to move all the local people out and build a place for tourists to come. So basically gentrification. Recently, the police cut off a Rasta girl's hair. Literally, they cut it off. They arrested her and they cut it off. So the Rasta community now is in upheaval. On Independence Day, there there was a LGBTQ mm-hmm. protest, which was kind of unnecessary. A protest what? Against um, the government? Or what do you mean? No, as in against the LGBTQ flag <sighs> at okay. the US Embassy. And I, and I was like, there are so many other things going on that could use our okay. attention. A flag is not going to do exactly. anything to us. 
Yeah, that is the political climate at the time. The people are suffering inflation. Oh my gosh, inflation is crazy, bro. Like, I don't know how to put it in a context that that um the listeners can listen. Oh wait, sorry, can can understand. But let's let's see here. Okay, basically, bread used to be like two hundred and fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Now it's five hundred dollars. Double. Right. Basically, pay isn't increasing, but everything else is. Right. Most people. Most Jamaican people don't work high paying mm-hmm. jobs. So you could get so you could have a master's degree yeah. in Jamaica and not and you won't even be taking home three thousand pounds a month. Right? The healthcare situation is shit. Our infrastructure is shit. Schools, oh my gosh, schooling, no oh gosh. Even though our education system, meaning in terms yeah. of material, is better than most of the world, especially America. Currently, children aren't going to school because, you know, it's online. Not everyone has a laptop or the internet. And I think most people think of Jamaica as just Kingston. So they forget about the rural areas, which are densely populated. Yeah. So if you aren't from a specific class in Jamaica, your life is is literally shit right now. And that is most of the population. And I mean, such a bleak note to end out with, but... What we will do next time, because I do want to interrogate, maybe we can interrogate further about the, the kind of class relations in Jamaica, which I think will be fascinating for people to listen to. And also we can talk about, you know, you said about the propaganda people consume about, oh, but this ideology of communism is responsible for so many deaths. I'd love to unpack that with you further. But yeah. Frank, bro, you this has been an absolute masterclass. So I'm going to post Tristan's <laughs> uh, socials in the description of this episode. He has a book. Please check it out. I'll post a link to that as well and until next time you're listening to the malcolm effective moment as always please like comment subscribe until next time peace out people